0: Well, good morning again, Chillicothe Bible Church. Glad y'all are here this morning, uh, either with us in the room or online. We're glad to have you. Um, Wanted to uh, draw your attention to Revelation chapter 14 this morning. And as you make your way there, I want to tell you a quick story. Several years ago, when my children were all small, uh, they're not small anymore, any of them. Uh, but when they were all little, we uh, we took a trip. I think it may be one of our most memorable vacations that we ever took as a family. Uh, we went, we drove out, uh, and we camped all the way there and all the way back. We drove all the way out to the Grand Canyon and then out to Hoover Dam and out to Zion National Park and so forth, and I think we saw altogether about a dozen states and um, And just saw a tremendous number of just beautiful things and beautiful parts of God's creation. And really had an enjoyable time. Made a lot of memories in doing that. Um, If you've been out west, you know that as you get out into those big western states, there is a vast amount of just flat, empty space out there. There's just a whole lot of nothing. Right? You're just out there, you're driving along this road and there's mountains and there's lots of scenery and not a lot of anything else. Right, And as you are driving around out there, uh, you start to see, uh, as you get out in remote enough places, you start to see these little signs. And they, they're, they're very uh, important that you pay attention to them because they say things like, Last rest stop, 92 miles. Right? Last chance for gas, 187 miles, right? And you look at these signs and you look and you and you look around the car and you go, so how are we doing on gas, honey? And then you also, because this is not the time to be thinking, you know, I know the gas gauge says, you know, 120 miles, but I bet we can make it. Right? <laughs> Uh, And and you want to ask, hey, uh, anybody need to make a rest stop because this is the last opportunity and you'll be using the side of the road otherwise, right? Uh, We're not going to have an opportunity for a while. And I came to think of these messages as messages of grace because they are telling you, here's an opportunity to get off now and experience uh, your needs being met. And if you do not take it, this is your last chance. And uh, as you look at the scriptures, what you'll see is that God does something very similar. As you study your Bible, in fact, what you come to realize is that God is incredibly, wonderfully gracious. And in fact, right up to the very last moments before judgment comes, before final judgment is brought to the earth by God, God is doing everything that it is possible to do to help wicked people to escape from his judgment and to experience instead his salvation and grace. And he goes way beyond the extra mile to show them the way of salvation and to uh, warn them away from the judgments that are to come. And it really is amazing, I think, to behold God's grace. And so if you're not there yet, I encourage you to turn with me over to Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. And we're going to look at these verses together, verses 6 through 13. And I advise you to stand if you're able as I read uh, the text here. In honor of God's word, let's, let's stand. Uh, beginning verse 6, chapter 14 of Revelation, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people and he said with a loud voice fear him and give fear god and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of their of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this text, which reminds us of both grace and judgment. And that before judgment comes, that you always make an offer of grace instead. Father, I pray that as we look at the text that, that, um, that we would be people who receive grace. That we would be among those who repent of, uh, of sin and turn away from it. That we would be those who decide to fear God and worship Him rather than receive His judgment. Father, may You impress Your Word deeply into our souls today. And may you give us through it both warning and encouragement, uh, both a a great gratitude for what you've done for us, as well as a broken heart for those who have not turned to you yet. Father, help us to receive what this text has to say to us, and help us to be transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, If you look at the text closely, then what you'll see in this section of Scripture is is just very basically, you've got three angels with three messages to the unsaved world, to those who have not put their trust in Jesus. God will send three angels with three messages to the unsaved world. Uh, They are called in the text, those who dwell on the earth, those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. Uh, are the term in Revelation for those who don't follow Jesus. And then there is at the end, verses 12 and 13, a word of encouragement to those who are believers in that time. And so we want to begin by looking at the first angel and his message and the thing that he uh, is doing and what he has to say. And what you see first is this angel is flying, the text says, in midheaven. And what that means, if you understand uh, the words that are being used there, is that he is flying between the earth and uh, the earth's atmosphere, its outer reaches, uh, and in a way that is visible and audible to everyone who lives on earth. I don't know if he'll make multiple loops around the earth uh, so that everybody can hear, but the point is, is that is that there will not be a person alive on earth who, at that time who will not see this angel and who will not hear what he has to say. And that is important because uh, this angel has a unique job, which is to proclaim, the text says, an eternal gospel to everyone on the earth. And Jesus said that the gospel would go out across the whole earth, remember, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It began at Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And God uses us, his people, to do that in this time. But at the very end, just in case there's anybody who's never heard, God will send an angel throughout the earth to make sure that everybody hears. And uh, so that no one who is alive on the earth at this time will be able to say, I never heard, I never knew. God is going to, by his grace, make sure that everyone knows and everyone hears. And the next thing we should focus on is the content of the angel's message. It's called an eternal gospel because it is eternal in its significance and in its offer that you can, he is setting before people eternal life and eternal death. And it is good news that he comes to announce that eternal death does not have to be yours. This is what he says. He says, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, Let me walk you through that. Uh, Biblically speaking, to fear God is to come to recognize that He is holy in His his character, that He is awesome in power, as we sang, and, uh, and therefore to draw the right conclusion from those things and to obey and worship and honor him as a result. That's what it means to fear God. If God is, as the text says, the God who made the earth and the sea and everything in it, if God is the creator of all things, then naturally the, the logical conclusion from that is that you should worship and obey and follow and love that being. Let me give you just one example. The light from the sun traveling at 186,000 miles per second takes eight minutes to get here. Because the sun is that far away from us. I'm not a... I'm not enough of a mathematician to be able to calculate how many million miles that is in my head, but those of you who are smart can probably figure it out. It's millions of miles away, and, and, and when I went to the planetarium up there in Chicago, they have a scale model of the sun relative to the planets that orbit it, including the earth, and the earth is like a little marble. And the sun is this massive ball that occupies the room. And it's basically, if you can imagine this, it's basically an enormous nuclear bomb that gives light and heat to the Earth and the planets in the solar system. And it's, by the way, not the biggest of stars. It's a relatively medium-sized one among billions, literally, of stars in our universe. And God is the being who is awesome in power, sufficient to make them all and know them all by name. We make nuclear bombs and we get one atom of the right elements going the speed of light. God creates them and hangs them in the sky for light and heat. On a massive scale. Imagine that. And that being, though He is awesome in power, is abundant in grace to such an extent that He, uh, through His Son, became incarnate as one of the creatures which He made out of dirt. Now think about that. Became incarnate as a creature made out of the dirt so that He might save them from His wrath and judgment. And the angel's message is approximately that. Fear God. The God who made all things. Fear Him. Come to worship and obey Him because... His judgment is coming. The hour of His judgment has come. The angel is a good gospel preacher. Amen? As a holy angel, you can take it to the bank that they are always going to do what God wants them to do. And one thing a good gospel preacher always does is give you the good news and the bad news. That there is both an invitation to escape from God's judgment, and an underlining of the fact that judgment is coming. And that's what the angel does. The the angel is careful to give you the good news of salvation freely to all who want it. But also, the conclusion that's very important as well, that... The bad news of judgment is coming for all who reject this final offer of salvation. It is a very succinct gospel presentation that the angel makes, and everyone on earth hears it and sees it. And on top of that, remember this, when we're talking about God's grace, this is after God sends two prophets with the power of, and ministry like Moses and Elijah, that minister for three and a half years in a way that everybody can see. And after God miraculously preserves 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go forth around the earth as His witnesses, and after the ministry of those witnesses brings millions of other people to faith in Jesus, and after many of them die in martyrdom because they refuse to worship the beast and the image that he has set up or receive his mark. And they go to their deaths testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. After all of that, God says, you know what? Judgment's coming. But before it does, let me make one thing really clear. There's still salvation available. Let me send an angel to tell you. Killed so many of my people, I can't count on them to make sure every person hears. So I'm going to send an angel forth to tell everybody. And then he sends a second angel. And the second angel also has a succinct message. Uh, Every word that he says is repeated in Uh, Revelation chapter 18 verses 2 and 3 and what he says is fallen fallen is Babylon the great she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and uh, in in, in time what will happen is that this kingdom that Satan will set up with his ruler the Antichrist and his false prophet to tie together all worship and all political entities across the entire globe will all be part of this one empire. And here John uh, records it as being called Babylon. Why? Because in the beginning, uh, right after the flood, there is an effort to bring all people together. Remember? We're going to bring all people together in unity, and we're all going to build this empire this political and religious system. They're going to build this city, and then they're going to build at the center of it a religious center of this ziggurat. And up at the top of it, we're going to worship God and make our sacrifices. And they call it Bab L, the gate of God. And what it is, is the founding of a later civilization that comes to be known by this name, Babel, They called it the Gate of God, Bob L. God came down, confused their languages, and gave it a new name. You remember, Babel, right? Because that's what it sounds like. Everybody all of a sudden starts sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher to one another, right? <laughs> you know, and you're like, what was that, right? And all of a sudden, people get separated by language and by people group, and they spread out across the earth. But at the end of all things. Remember what God's goal is. It's that all people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people group would all be unified to worship one being. Who is it? God Himself. And the Lamb of God on His throne. And will that happen? Yes. But Satan offers a counterfeit of that. He says, hey, I got my own kingdom. I got my own king. I got my own priest. We're all going to gather together and we're all going to worship together and I'm going to be exalted. And God calls it Babylon. And by the way, whenever you have false worship, you're going to, alongside that, have sexual immorality that goes forth as part of it. Because by the way, one thing that you cannot get out of false religion, is any kind of real and lasting transcendent connection to the actual God. And so you're going to have to have something to substitute for that sense of transcendence, and the readiest substitute to hand is immorality. And so whenever a a nation, whenever a people uh, trades in, the worship of the true God, they're going to get themselves a substitute and they're going to be sexually immoral as a culture and as a people. Because once you lose your connection to to the true God, Francis Schaeffer said it this way, once you lose your connection to the true God, you're left with nothing but atoms and rabbits. That is, you become nothing you become molecules floating in an absurd universe atoms and you become the prisoner of your of your drives and desires the strongest one of which is sex rabbits and so babylon is this is the name god gives this place because babylon was the origin point of all of this wickedness into the world and it will all be brought back together in a perverse upside-down, demonic kingdom characterized by sexual immorality and the worship of, the, of Satan and of his servant, the beast, through a false religion founded by his false prophet. And this angel announces this thing has fallen. And in case you missed it, fallen. Fallen. And it's past tense both times. Did you notice that? Why? Because though it hasn't happened yet, that's chapter 18, it's happening is so certain that God speaks of it as having already occurred. By the way, and so in other words, the message of the angel is this. This thing that you're trusting in will not save you. God's judgment is coming. In fact, it's so certain to come that I'm talking about it as if it's already occurred. And then in the next chapter, chapter 15, you're going to see the bold judgments announced. Chapter 16, you're going to see them fall. Chapter 17 and 18, you see the whole thing dismantled root and branch. And God is telling people, you've got to be sure that you put your hope and your eternal destiny in the right thing. Because if you don't, there's judgment coming and it is judgment of a kind that will make your ears tingle. And that's the message of the third angel. you see it? Verses 9 through 11 contain the messages of the third angel and it's a message of warning to anyone who is tempted to follow the beast and to take his mark and and that if you do so, if you do this, if you bow your knee before this demonic king and demonic priest and follow their demonic overlord Satan, if you if you decide that you will worship in that way, and you will drink the wine of God's wrath, full strength. And the angel clarifies what that means in case anybody is confused. And what it means is absolutely terrifying. You see what it says? Tormented with fire and sulfur forever and ever. Forever and ever. It says no rest Day and night for eternity. How long is eternity? We think if we live to be a hundred that we've lived a long time. When you have lived 10,000 years in hell, it has not started with eternity. You hear me? If this scares you a little bit, it is meant to. That's why it's there. It's meant for us to wake up and to realize that life is loaded and our choices now carry eternal consequences. Either for blessing and joy or for suffering and death. And God will glorify Himself one way or another. According to the Scriptures, God will glorify Himself either in making you His friend and graciously saving you on the one hand. Or, God will glorify Himself on the other by seeing you be destroyed for eternity. And and someone, as I've said before repeatedly, someone will cry out to God, I thirst. And it will either be, on the one hand, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who suffered on the cross for your sins, who cries out from the cross, I thirst, that you might not have to to carry that burden and cry out the same way from hell. Amen? And you get to choose which way you will glorify God. But God gets rid of all of His enemies. He either makes them His friends or He puts them in hell. And God includes this because He is gracious. Because He does not want anyone to go here. Jesus is The most prolific preacher on heaven in the entire Bible. Did you know that? He is. He talks about it more than anybody else. You know who talks about hell more than anybody else? Jesus. Because He does not want anyone to go there. And we are told what awaits us if we reject Christ. God does not simply invite us into His family, He also warns us of the consequences of turning away from Him and of rejecting Christ. He warns us over and over and over and over and over again, 160 times in the New Testament alone. There are only 220 chapters in the whole New Testament. And 160 times He tells us about hell, that we might be warned Because God would rather save than judge. He says through the prophet Ezekiel, I read it this week. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their sin and live. And then he says two more times, turn, turn. Why should you die? Amen? Amen? That's why this is here. Because God is gracious and He does love us and He wants to keep us away from this. But those who will not be saved because they love their sin and rebellion will get the judgment that they want instead. And God makes sure to tell them in hopes that they will choose wisely. Now, in the last two verses verses 12 and 13, we get a magnificent contrast to these dire and terrifying warnings in the form of a word of encouragement to those who follow Jesus. Two things. First, in verse 12, we see for the second time in two chapters these words. This is a call. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Now, let me ask you another question looking at the text, who are the saints? What does it say? It says, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Same verb under both of those. Governs both of those phrases. Those who keep the commandments of God and those who keep their faith in Jesus. How do you know if someone's faith in God is genuine? If they Keep the faith to the end. How do we know if they kept the faith? Did they obey what Jesus said? Very simple. Jesus said, how do you know if you love me? Do you do do what I say? For Jesus, obedience and love are interchangeable terms. He says, if you obey me, you love me. If you don't love me, you don't obey me. And then on top of that, how do you know that you are are a believer? That you persevered in the faith all the way to the end. Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And this encouragement that we get is this. That these people, the reason this is here is because during the tribulation, you're going to need this encouragement. Because the amount of pressure that is going to be brought to bear on believers in this time is going to be so severe and so uh, widespread, there will be nowhere that you can go to escape from it. You know, if you're a Hong Konger today, uh, and you are running afoul of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, you, can, you can escape to the United States. You can escape Taiwan. You can escape to Great Britain who will receive you with open arms. And that's a good thing to have a place to run to. But when the entire world is governed by a demonically controlled man and all of the apparatus of government and religion are devoted to the worship and the pursuit of Satan, where do you hide? There's nowhere to go. And you will need to endure through this. You'll need to trust God and endure through it. And those who persevere according to the Scriptures are those whose faith is genuine. Just like James said, James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Trials always, always, always reveal what's really there. Trials don't create anything in us. I don't know if you know that. But whenever you encounter things, what whatever comes out is a function of whatever was in there. Right? If you, take a bo- if you take a bottle of water and take the lid off and shake it up, what's going to happen? Well, water will come out of the bottle, right? Well, why is it that water will come out of the bottle? Because water was what was in it, right? I mean, not to be pedantic, but that's reality. That trials always reveal what's on the inside of the bottle. Amen? and if what's on the inside of the bottle is real faith then it will endure and if it's and if it's a counterfeit it won't and so the encouragement is to stay faithful to keep the faith to keep obeying Jesus no matter what trials come and then we get this beautiful word verse 13 come to verse 13 we aren't told simply to endure, and this is this is one of the things I love about the scripture. One of the things I love about Jesus is that is that sometimes we can get the idea that we are supposed to endure just out of simple, like teeth gritting, steel spined stoicism, right? I'm just gonna do it, argh, you know, and get tough, and you know what I mean, like just gonna just gut it out, right? That's not what we are told. What are we told? Verse 13. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Here's the encouragement. That if you die in Christ, persevering in faith through whatever trials come into your life, then there is a total contrast between your eternal destiny and the destiny of the wicked who rejected him. You remember the wicked? If you skip back a couple of verses, you'll see it says there, not to quote the song or anything, but there ain't no rest for the wicked. Day and night. Day and night. They are tormented in hell because they love their sin more than the Savior. But there's rest. If you're a sinner and you die in rejection of Christ, then your deeds follow you to judgment. But if you're a believer in Christ, your deeds follow you to rest. Anybody anybody here in the room tired? I'm not talking about like you didn't sleep well last night. I'm talking about tired. Like just down in your soul, tired. Tired of all of the wickedness of the world. Tired of fighting uh, against it as a believer. Tired of the oppression that comes from swimming upstream all the time against a culture that is determined to flee from the light to the darkness. Who's just tired of all of that? Who's tired of living in a sinful world where those who cheat and lie and steal often get ahead? Who's tired of living in a place where you have to lock your doors at night? Where you're grateful you have an alarm on your car and that your phone locks up with your fingerprint? There's a day coming, men and women. There's a day coming when all of that stuff will fall away. Well we're gonna dwell in the city and there will be no night there. The Lamb of God will be its light all night long. And you will not have any locks on the door. You will not need them. You will not have anything outside that is fear inducing. There will be no more disease. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. And all of those things will be outside. They will not even be it won't even get ever get late. It won't be nighttime ever. You'll rest. You'll have peace. You'll enjoy your reward because your deeds will follow you to glory. Now that was a good word for the from the Lord for them, right? It's a good word for us too. Because by the way, even though these get a special blessing, that if they die in the tribulation period, guess what guys? You don't go from here to suffering, you go from here to blessing. We get the same thing. We get the same blessing. We'll rest. When we wrap up our time in the Word today, I want to just draw and draw a big... Highlighter around three things from the text. Number one, God is incredibly gracious, not wanting any to die and go to judgment. Not wanting any to die and go to judgment. I can always tell when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and I talk about how anyone can put their faith in Jesus. Uh, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter who you are, what language you speak or what color you are or what socioeconomic group you fit into or what nationality or any of it, you can all come to Jesus. And when I explain that sufficiently to somebody and they really start to get it, this is what they ask me. They say, wait a minute. Are you telling me that somebody can be a serial murderer and come to faith in Jesus and God forgives that? And then their eyes get big when I say the very unexpected thing. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And they go, hold on. (laughs) Right? Have you had this conversation with somebody? God is that good. He is that gracious. He is that kind. Anyone may come and have their sin forgiven and their guilt washed away, and be declared righteous in the sight of God, and receive membership in his family. But he also wants to make the consequences of rejection completely obvious to everyone. That's why he sends these angels. That's why he sends you and I out to be his ambassadors of reconciliation to all the nations of the world. God has anointed you and anointed me to be his heralds of reconciliation, to announce the gospel just as clearly and plainly as these angels do. To tell people the good news and the bad news. Because God is good and he does not want any to perish. Amen? And with that in mind, we also need to understand this, though, that judgment is real and it is really coming. It's really coming. I find the notion of God's judgment, by the way, both wonderfully comforting on the one hand, because God is going to get rid of every evil thing and every evil person from this world. And that is a wonderful thing, right? Right? Because there will be a day when, as the Scripture says, every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and no one will make us afraid anymore. We'll be at peace completely. But in order to do that, God has to get rid of every evil person who will not repent and be transformed and reborn. And so judgment really is coming. And that also is kind of terrifying. And so, as Paul said, knowing what it is to fear God, we persuade men be reconciled to God. Because judgment really will fall on the people. Though God does not wish anyone to perish, it is, and, it, and though it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, God really will judge people. And it really is coming. And it may not be that far off. And we need to know that and hear that. And understand both sides of it. That on the one hand, God really will deal with evil. And that's a good thing. Comforting thing. But also it means that since He really will deal with evil. That there will be people who will fall under it. And therefore we need to warn them. Amen. Amen. Last thing, persevere in the faith. Follow Jesus to the end. You know, I don't love to do funerals. I think I'm up to about 50 at this point that I've done in my pastoral career here. I don't love doing them. But you know the kind I like doing on a relative standard? kind where somebody has followed Jesus from the point that they came to faith in him all the way till they took their last breath those are joyful because I know where they went and I know where, where they will be and that when I get there with them that I will see them again The other kind I hate, the ones where you go, and I've done some, where you you start think, speaking as a pastor in a whole other frame of reference. You start saying things like this. And when a person has come to know Christ, he or she has the confidence that when they, their last day comes, that they will be with Jesus. I can't stand up there and say this person knew him. We know where they are. And we'll see them again. Because my my goal instead of saying imitate the faith of this person becomes making sure that the friends and family of this person don't suffer the same faith that I fear that they have. Amen? How do you know that you're, that you're Faith is real. Did you persevere in faith and in obedience to Jesus to the end? And everyone who is born of God receives new life. And that which is alive grows and flourishes over time. Jesus says, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for Jesus' sake will save it for eternity. Lots of people make a profession of faith at some point in their life, maybe when they were at BBS or maybe when they were at IWANA or maybe when they were in college or maybe whenever. And then they walk away and you, and you wonder, was that real or not? Here's how you know. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Those who endure know the Lord. Amen? So keep the faith and you'll receive the crown of life. Keep the faith and you'll rest and you will love Christ appearing. You will love when He shows up. You won't be afraid. You'll be overjoyed when the Lord returns. Because you'll know that He brings His reward with Him and He's coming for you. Amen. And you will rest and be at peace. And that should be our goal, that we would be among those who who receive His rest, who enter into His rest, and are at peace. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a good and gracious God. We thank You that You are a God who tells us the good news of how to be saved and the bad news of judgment to come if we reject You. And the wonderful news of reward and blessing that we receive not only in eternity, but now enter into joy. And enter into new life. And enter into cleansing from sin. And the indwelling of the spirit. And the fellowship of God's people. And the enjoyment of spiritual gifts. And the joy of telling other people about the treasure we found. Father I pray that our joy would be full. And that we who are your people. Would persevere all the way to the end. That we might receive a rich reward in the kingdom of God's dear son. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, who has heard this message and has, has heard its words about judgment and is not certain at all where they would go. Father, I pray that right now they would confess their sin to You and turn to Christ in faith and embrace Him. Father, it's been my privilege today to declare Your Word. I pray I've done it faithfully. And then like a a lost beggar without food, I have told the other beggars where to find it. Father, use Your Word in the lives of Your people, I pray in Jesus' name.